Kurt Vonnegut is uh, an author, was an author, who uh, is, is can be pretty controversial. And uh, he doesn't get quoted a whole lot in support of church, mainly because he wasn't in support of church, okay? Um, he was an atheist who didn't believe in organized religion, didn't have much uh, much use for organized religion. He probably wouldn't be really happy about me um, using a quote of his in a sermon, but we're going we're gonna to go ahead and do that, okay? I came across a quote of his recently that just grabbed me. And the reason is, I felt like it really just captured the primal hunger that so many of us feel for authentic expressions of the church. For authentic expressions of the church in our day and in our time. I came across this quote where he said this. He said, human beings will be happier not when they cure cancer or go to Mars, but when they, when they find ways to inhabit primitive communities again. When they find ways to inhabit primitive communities again. That's an interesting image, isn't it? Like let that roll around in your head for just a minute and try to get a sense of where in the world we might be going with that today. There's another author, one of my favorites. Uh, He lived about 200 years before uh, Mr. Vonnegut. His name was John Wesley. And uh, he was a very provocative and at times controversial preacher uh, in England in the 1700s. And one of the reasons that this quote stands out to me so much is it's very similar to some of the things that he used to say. He used some of the same exact language. He would often talk and challenge the church about discovering, rediscovering what it means to be the primitive church. The primitive church, a rediscovery of the primitive church, how to inhabit that again. And when he used the word primitive, a lot of times we think about maybe completely out of date, right? Uh, Irrelevant, like fossils, relics of the past kind of deal. But actually the word primitive means the first of its kind or the earliest in existence, And so when John Wesley was talking about the primitive church, he's talking about the book of Acts. And as he read through the book of Acts, after he had an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit that utterly transformed his life, he came to the conclusion that the God of the book of Acts is still the same God of today, that his nature is unchanging, that his character is unchanging, and that what we see playing out in the book of Acts can be a reality in our time and in our day. He firmly believed that the time most ripe for renewal is always right now. Always right Now, he began to preach about that after this encounter with the Holy Spirit being transformed by the Holy Spirit. He began to challenge the church about rediscovering those primitive roots. And for that, for the courage of that, he was rewarded by being banned from almost every pulpit in London at the time and throughout the church of England. He was forced out of the church, pretty much. They wouldn't allow him to get up and preach in any of the respected, established churches 
of his day. He had a friend named George Whitfield. Some of you would recognize that name from American history, a preacher from England who came to America and helped spark one of the great awakenings through his preaching. Incredible preacher. But he challenged John Wesley. He said, well, if they won't let you preach in the pulpits, then take your message out into the fields. Take your message out into the streets and preach the gospel out there. He took him up on that and he started to do that. This made people really angry because they believed that the sacred word of God, the holy word of God, should not be out there on the margins of society. It should be kept safe here in the sacred sanctuaries of the church. But John Wesley began to take it out. He began to preach in the fields where people were working. He took it out to the poor and the marginalized of his society in that day. People were really upset by that. Uh, He was assaulted verbally and physically for this. Uh, Sometimes when he was preaching, people would throw rotten fruit and vegetables at him. Thankfully, that hasn't happened to me yet. Okay. Today could be the day. All right. Um... But yeah, one time he was out in the field preaching and, and a farmer uh, was so mad at him for what he was doing, he let his bull loose on John Wesley. So imagine this like really proper Englishman running from a bull through the field, right? Probably holding his hat with his Bible under his arm. Great image, okay? Um, but, but he was constantly pushed for this. He was pushed further and further out and further and further Away, But he continued to do it. He had the audacity to believe that God is the same today. He had the audacity to have faith in the unchanging nature of God and to believe that the time for renewal can always be right now. A strange thing started to happen as he did that. This very promising young Oxford fellow who had such a great potential ahead of him for being a leader in the church, as he was pushed and became an outcast and pushed out to the margins of society, a strange thing started to happen. As he preached the gospel out in culture, the gospel started to take root in the culture. Almost as if the culture is the wild and native habitat for the kingdom of God, right? And as he began to preach it out there, it started to take root. Unlikely people started to come to faith in Jesus Christ in massive waves. People were coming to faith in Jesus, and he started to organize them into smaller groups for intentional discipleship, groups for accountability, and groups for for pushing the mission forward, for multiplying the mission of God in the world. And these small groups, these little micro-movements started to spread all the way throughout England, reaching all throughout the culture of the day. A massive revival broke loose in that day. Unlikely people started feeling the gift to preach, to lead, to shepherd The poor and the marginalized weren't just served by the church, but they began to serve in the church, and they began to step into places of significant leadership in the church. And the kingdom of God was on the move in a powerful, powerful way. He had the audacity to believe that the spiritual renewal that he read about in the book of Acts that led to a social renaissance in the book of Acts was possible for his day as well. Historians point to that time period and say that around that time, England was in in a massive amount of upheaval. 
Okay, the culture was breaking apart and they were in danger of falling into a violent revolution. But they also point to that revival, that spiritual renewal that had a social impact. They point to that as one of the turning points in the history of England that brought them back from the brink. It's possible. It's possible. Today. I believe that. I believe that it is still possible in our day for a spiritual renewal to lead to a social renaissance, to impact the culture with the truth of the gospel. Do you believe that that's possible? I do too. I do too. And I believe that God has not changed and he is still the same. A lot of people want to label churches. Right? They, they, they have a couple of labels and they'll ask you, okay, is this church conservative or is this church liberal? And there's a very clear line right down the middle and you've got to pick a side, right? Is this church a conservative church or is this church a liberal church? And I believe that both of those labels are too weak to describe the kingdom of God. I believe that neither of those labels is adequate to properly describe what God is up to in our world through the church. There's another word that I think fits better than either of those, and it's the term radical. I think the church is called to be radical. Now, when we say that word, that makes a lot of people nervous, all right? You might be like, what are they going to ask me to do today, okay? What am I signing up for here? But radical doesn't mean way out on the edge like we often think it means. The term radical actually comes from a Latin term, radix, which means what? Any Latin scholars in the room? It means root. Radix means root. The word radical means to return to the root, to return to the base. And I think that is what God is calling the church to be in our day and in our time, to rediscover the primitive church to rediscover the root of who we are called to be. That's why we're going to be studying the book of Acts over the next several weeks together. Okay, and as we walk through this together, it starts today. We're starting today, September 13th, and it ends uh, on October 11th, okay? And that happens to be 28 days, all right? It happens to be 28 days. Anybody have any guess as to how many uh, chapters are in uh, the book of Acts? 28, okay? So here's what we're going to challenge you to do and encourage you to do. On your way out the door, you're going to get a handout about this today. We're challenging the entire church to read together through the book of Acts and to take one chapter a day over the next 28 days. So as we walk through this series together, as we explore this book together, we're not going to be able to hit every point, but you can, all right? And we can together as we read one chapter a day. And as you read, pray. Have your heart wide open and pray that God would start a fire in you. Pray that he would start a fire in you, a spark in you, and then that it would spread through you. Okay, and pray the same for our entire church together. So let's dive in. The book of Acts, we're going to start today in Acts chapter 2. And I'll start with verse 1 of uh, Acts chapter 2. Now this is coming right after uh, the life and death and life again of Jesus, okay? And um, 50 days before this moment, 
we have that, that time where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus laid down his life. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. He was buried in the grave. And three days later, he was raised from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. Okay? And so Pentecost is happening in the wake of this. After Jesus' resurrection, it turns the world upside down. He takes 40 days of spending with his disciples, teaching his disciples again in the wake of that, and teaching them what it means to live out the kingdom of God. And now suddenly, all the things that he had been teaching them in the three years of his ministry, they see in a different light through the lens of his death and his resurrection. So he does that for 40 days. After 40 days of teaching them, Jesus ascends back to heaven to take his seat on the throne at the right hand of the Father, his rightful throne where he still reigns today as the king over everything, as the king of everything. So after that, Jesus challenged them at his ascension to go into all the world, to make disciples, to baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he challenged them to wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And this is when that promise comes true. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So you've got these people that have come from all over to be in Jerusalem for this special day of this festival. And so they've come from all over the place. They speak different languages, but yet they hear the message being proclaimed to them in their own language. They each hear it being proclaimed in their own language. This miracle moment where God is translating the message to the hearts of every person who is there listening. Utterly amazed, they asked, are are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. All right. It's a powerful moment right here. This is the moment that the church is born. Incredible moment in history. Now, here's a little bit of background. When we talk about the day of Pentecost, we normally just think about that in terms of of Christian history, right? And so we think about it of this day. And the day of Pentecost is this moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the first believers, when they're filled with the Spirit and the church is born. But it actually has a history that comes before that, okay? The day of Pentecost was this historical festival where Jews would come from all around. It was called, sometimes called the Festival of Harvest, sometimes called the Festival of Weeks. But it served to commemorate a special moment in their history. It looked back to the moment after they had been set free from slavery where God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
Okay, God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he gives him the law. And on that day, God writes the law in stone, and he makes the people of Israel a nation. Okay? And, and so this is incredible. On this, at this same moment, we've got similar things that are happening. Okay, because on Mount Sinai, the presence of God is so powerful and so intense that they see flames of fire. Right. And the sound of like this rushing wind, this powerful moment of God's presence. Now, flash forward to this moment and we see it happening again. These two days are tied together intentionally. And the first one that it commemorates, God writes the law in stone and he makes a nation out of the people of Israel. But on this day, God writes the law on their hearts through the Holy Spirit, and he unleashes a kingdom. It's a powerful moment, powerful moment. They're both characterized by this fire that we see. Fire is important symbolism throughout Scripture. Um, It always represents intensity. Sometimes it can be an intensity of God's punishment. Sometimes it can be an intensity of God's power. But what we see most frequently is that it represents an intensity of God's presence with his people. And that's exactly what is happening here at Pentecost. This moment where the presence of God for the first time in history begins to fill up the believers. The presence of God breaks out and fills up All of the believers, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The intense presence of God with us and within us. It's a powerful, powerful moment. It goes on. Their response after this is incredible. After this happens, Peter stands up. We remember that Peter, uh, one of the last times we saw him, he was cowering, right? And he was, um, and when Jesus needed him most, he, he failed Jesus in that moment because of his fear. Yet in this moment, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he stands up and he begins to preach the gospel to the people. He begins to tell them about who Jesus is. He is not afraid. And he begins to speak to them about who Jesus is. He says he's a son of God. And the man that you crucified, God raised up from the dead. And he's the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. He is our salvation. And he is our hope. And here's how the people responded. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a sermon. All right, now that is a sermon. I've never had a response to a sermon like that before. This is so powerful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It says the people were cut to the heart. And their response was, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter says, believe in Jesus, 
repent. That word means to turn. Turn away from the life you were living. Turn into the life that Jesus Christ is offering you. Embrace salvation and the grace of Jesus Christ and be baptized as a sign of your life made new in him. What a response. The people did it. The people did it. Now, I can't preach like Peter, all right? So I'm not even going to try. But you can respond like these people responded. Maybe for you, the response is to be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized before, but you want to make a public declaration that you are a follower of Jesus with everything you have and everything you are. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have my stuff together yet. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm really ready. Like I'm not. Baptism is a beginning. Okay, it's this moment, this sign that you are surrendering and it's a public declaration that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow Jesus with all that I have and all that I am. Maybe that's you today. If you want to get baptized, then in in your seat, you'll see the cards. Fill it out. Sign that part about wanting to get baptized. We'll talk with you. We can't wait to celebrate that with you. Maybe for some of you, you need to embrace salvation through Jesus. And there's something in your heart as you're hearing this today. Something is grabbing a hold of you. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Today is your day. Today is your day. Maybe you want to embrace Jesus right here, right now. Just simply surrender your heart to him and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. If you're doing that right now and you want to do that, Be sure to either sign the card or grab me afterwards so we can talk about that and celebrate that with you. What is your response? This last piece here, we got verses 42 through 47, and we kind of see the result. We see what comes after this and what is flowing out of this moment. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we love this section, don't we? You've heard us preach on this a lot. We have a Bible study uh, in the spring that walks through just these verses. And we take like six weeks just to walk through these verses. We love this picture. This is a beautiful picture. It's kind of like an ideal image, not just of describing what the church was then, but prescribing who we should continue to be. This is a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. But sometimes there's more to the picture than what it seems at first. This past week, um, our two sons, Sam and Luke, started back to preschool this year. They had their first day back at preschool and uh many of you guys probably over the past several weeks have seen parents and whoever just kind of flooding social media with all these first day of school pictures right and so sarah and i were like non-conformists we're not gonna like follow the pattern uh we're gonna do it anyway okay 
So uh, we decided to do it anyway. So we lined our kids up for this picture, this very cute picture of them going off to conquer the world through preschool, right? And uh, here's what came out. (laughs) You've got Sam over here who's just really angry about it all, okay? And uh, you probably can't tell there, but poor Luke is in tears over it, okay? So... uh, Luke was crying because Sam didn't want to stand like right next to him, and Sam was mad at Luke and mad about having to go. It was it was not great. Okay, this is this is real life right here. But sometimes, man, that's the reality. We have we have this ideal image, right, that we want to put forward. But sometimes we need to look a little bit beneath the surface. The same is true with this passage. I love this passage. I believe it is a description of what the church was like and a prescription for who we should continue to be. I believe this is the ideal image of who we should be as the church. And that is beautiful for us to work towards and strive for. But here's what we do. Too often we see this and we try to put together all of the things that are going to make this happen. And we try to systematize this, right? And we're like, we're going to create this. We are going to make this happen. And we we view this passage as the goal. We view this passage as kind of the end thing that we are striving for. But this passage is actually not the goal. This picture right here, it, it is an ideal image, but it is not the goal. It's actually a result of the goal. It's actually an overflow of the goal. Okay? It is a byproduct of the true goal. This is like the flames that you see that are so captivating, right? But let's pull it all the way back, okay? Pull the embers back down. Pull it back into the flame. Pull it all the way back to the moment of the spark. And what we see, the moment of the spark, is when the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus had commanded them to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And in obedience, they were waiting and they were seeking and they were watching for the movement of the Holy Spirit. They had surrendered themselves to walk in step with the Spirit so that when the Spirit was ready to move, they were ready to move. That is the goal. That is the spark that starts the fire. That's what we need to pray for. We need to pray to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, to be in sync with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit so that every impulse, every action, every priority flows out of that primitive, first, root relationship of union with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That is the goal. And as we study through this book together, And as we return to the root, the Holy Spirit will empower us to advance the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit will empower us to pioneer the future of what the church can look like in our day and in our time. We trace it back from the flames all the way back to the moment of the spark. And that's what we pray for. You are not the spark. This is not a pep talk for you to be the spark, okay? You are not the spark. The Holy Spirit is the spark. 
but you are the match. You are the match. And the Holy Spirit wants to start with you. The Holy Spirit wants to light you on fire first. And then the rest of the flame can come from that. This seems small to us, right? A spark is just, it's minor. It's insignificant splinters of light and heat. But if you look closely at the spark, you'll begin to see the catalyst on the verge of a chain reaction. And within the spark, you can see the full potential of all of the flames. Every ember of the future waiting to be unleashed. It is there within the spark. This seems simple. This seems insignificant. This seems small. But this is how to start a fire. Jesus, for your matches. We pray that the Holy Spirit will light us up. We're not looking for the flames. We're just looking for you to be the spark. We surrendered to you. Help us to live surrendered to you so that we can walk in step with the Spirit, so that we can be empowered by the Spirit as we return to our root. Please lead us and challenge us and guide us in that and show us what it looks like for our day. And God, help us to have the passion and the patience to pray for renewal in our day. And help us to pray that it starts within us. Let us be the match for it. We do believe that you have not changed. And we do believe that the time most ripe for renewal is always right now. Amen.